Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's Friday here in Sin City, and welcome to the Wager Talk weekend preview on the Sports Grid TV Network. This is your Sports Central for betters. My name is Ted Savransky. They call me Teddy Covers at Teddy underscore covers on Twitter. Joined as always. By my co-host and good friend Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV on Twitter, and we have a loaded show for today. We're going to break down NBA college hoops all weekend long. We're going to bring in Arthur De Caesar from the Link Sportsbook here in Las Vegas, one of the Caesars properties. We'll get a breakdown from behind the counter. But Ralph, let's get right into it. There is a loaded NBA slate. For the weekend, we'll start on Saturday where the Indiana Pacers take on the New Orleans Pelicans. My powering number has the Pacers about a four and a half point favorite in this ballgame against New Orleans. And New Orleans winning on the road in Chicago on Thursday night and looking good doing it. Don't be fooled by that final score. Yeah, they they made things very interesting against the spread down the stretch of that ballgame. But the Pelicans were in control wire to wire. And they'll be facing a Pacers team that's on the second night of back-to-backs off a big game on ESPN against the Raptors on Friday. Well, we, of course, know the Pelicans on an incredible over-under streak. And, uh, you know, the thing I look at when I look at the Pacers now, Oladipo got off to a very slow start, shooting 25% his first couple of games. I think that's where you're going to see the improvement with the Pacers. Teddy, you and I have talked about the injury system and how a player is a negative when he comes back. I think now two, three, four games in, I'll be looking to play on the Pacers when Oladipo starts pulling his weight in that lineup. And it's worth noting, I I would call this a bet-on quote from Oladipo. This is after Wednesday's game where they lost. But, quote, I feel like I played a little better. I could actually feel my legs kind of getting under me, especially defensively. So, remember, Indiana's been without T.J. Warren in recent ballgames as well. He may be able to suit up on Saturday night against the Pelicans. Let's go now for a live news update from Dan Stratford right here on the floor. Sports Grid News Update. And with the NBA trade deadline behind us, a lot of new look teams will take the floor in the National Basketball Association tonight. The Boston Celtics stood pat at the deadline, but we'll look a tad different when they get Kemba Walker back after a few games out with a knee injury. Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward have already been ruled out for the Boston Celtics. The Miami Heat did pick up three new players from the Memphis Grizzlies, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, and Solomon Hill, but will most likely be without Jimmy Butler Friday night. He's likely out with a shoulder injury. A potential new manager 
for the Boston Red Sox. According to Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe, the Red Sox are planning to name bench coach Ron Renecki as manager, but are waiting for MLB to conclude its investigation into the 2018 team before making any announcements. We may get a resolution to the Mookie Betts deal at some point today. At least that's according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today. He's reporting that the trade sending Mookie Betts and David Price to the Dodgers is expected to be finalized. That, of course, is in contrast to John Heyman's report earlier on Friday that talks will continue throughout the day, at least between the Red Sox and the Twins. According to Heyman, there's obvious urgency here, and all three teams are motivated to complete the, quote, Mookie mega deal, end quote. He also notes, as did Ken Rosenthal, that movement has been slow. Boston is now believed to be looking for a second top prospect in addition to Prusdor Grudarell. The fact is, Bob Nightingale did not note what any resolution has been reached to get this deal done. The result of the Jock Peterson arbitration case is expected today as well, according to a source of Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic. It will not change the terms of the Angels' deal with the Dodgers. Peterson asked for $9.5 million. L.A. responded with $7.75 million. The trade is, though, contingent on Betts' blockbuster, which is not yet official, of course. And Robert Murray, formerly of The Athletic, is reporting that the Giants have interest in Yasiel Puig. Reports are also out that the Giants had signed Hunter Pence. I'm Dan Schaffer, and this has been your Sports Grid News Update. Welcome back. Let's talk, Ralph, a little NBA trade deadline. Obviously, we're less than 24 hours removed from what we saw of the insanity of the NBA trade. Every year, they're like, oh, nothing's going to happen this year. And then there's a flurry of uh, draft day deals or trade uh, deadline deals. When it comes to who actually got better versus who actually got worse, there's not a whole lot of teams that I bumped up in my power ratings based solely on what they did at the trade deadline. The one team that stood out to me, the Atlanta Hawks, who got a couple of centers that they desperately needed. Atlanta's not a playoff team. They're not a playoff contender. They're a lottery-bound foe. Yeah, I gave them a bump. (laughs) Other than that, it's slim pickings. The most interesting thing in my mind of the whole trade deadline was the fact that the Pistons couldn't find buyers for Andre Drummond, and the buyer they found in Cleveland basically gave them nothing <laughs> for an all-star. Uh, I don't think that makes the trade a whole lot better. Any opinions from you about the NBA trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, I thought the, I I love the Cavs pickup. You know, like you said, uh, when you're when you're just picking up a salary and you're getting an all-star person, and I believe he's leading the league in rebounding. It's a positive. I mean, Cavs a long way to go. You know, my question to you that that I thought Teddy, you would say they improve themselves, and obviously it's a gray area. Would be the Heat with Iguodala and and Jay Crowder. Yeah, I I definitely think Miami. When you look at what they gave up, which is very little. You know, guys that weren't playing and bringing in a couple of veterans. I'm with you. Uh, I do think that Miami got better. Does that make the Heat capable of beating Milwaukee in a seven-game series or Toronto or Boston? I'm not convinced that it does. So, yeah, I do think Miami got better. But I don't think Miami can win two playoff series, let alone three, let alone four, even with the additions they made. That's why I kind of, you know, in terms of a powering adjustment, a very limited one for me. Uh, let's see what they do. And that's the way I, you talked about when it comes to players coming back from injuries, how we adjust. When it comes to players getting traded, how we adjust. This is how we adjust. Not much at first. Let the play on the court dictate 
the changes in your power ratings. And if you do it that way, sometimes this NBA actually is beatable. Let's talk the TV game on Saturday night. The Lakers and the Warriors, the best team in the NBA against the worst. My power number for this game has L.A. as 13.5-point road favorites if everybody plays. We don't know if everyone's going to play for the Lakers. And, of course, the Lakers coming off a subpar showing against the Rockets on Thursday night, a game in which their defensive intensity wasn't there, and, frankly, their offensive execution was limited compared to where it has been. Sure, they were able to clean up in the low post against the Rockets, but they weren't able to get the ball into the low post again and again. And the Lakers didn't hit a whole lot of three-point shots in that ball game. The Warriors off a no-show game to close out their road trip in Brooklyn. That was a pretty ugly loss after winning the first two uh, on that road trip. They return home here and face a team that's a whole lot better than they are. What do you do with games like this, Ralph? One of the best against one of the worst. You're likely to see a double-digit home dog in this contest. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting dynamic is this, Teddy. You and I are breaking down these games Friday. There are going to be NBA teams that play Friday, so it certainly can change the way we forecast a game. Now, this one with the Lakers playing Thursday, but that Thursday game changed my opinion quite a bit. Had L.A. beaten Houston and taken care of business and coming off three straight wins, I thought they might be lethargic going to Golden State, who they beat by, I believe, 26 points the last time they played. But now, coming off... The loss to Houston with a day rest going to Golden State. I think we now have a focused Lakers squad where I would back the Lakers. So, again, when when we're talking through these games, there are certainly different dynamics. The next game I want to talk about, Teddy, is Toronto and Brooklyn. And, you know, as I said, with those teams, uh, you know, the Raptors are the Raptors are coming off a situation where they are playing tonight. So. Is there a situation where coming off a game at Indiana and coming home to Brooklyn, you like either side with what scenario? Oh, yeah. I've got a buy sign on the Nets right now. You know, the markets have absolutely devalued Brooklyn since the uh, Kyrie Irving injury. And without Kyrie Irving, look, they went 13 and 13 without him once. You know, they played 500 ball. And they've certainly been a team that's capable of Hanging tough without him again with this uh, Kyrie absence. Toronto, third game in four nights. They're coming off a huge ESPN showdown against Indiana on Friday. This is not, in my opinion, a step-up game for the Raptors. And it's a Nets team that has shown a whole lot of buy sign of late. I'm interested in Brooklyn here again. My powering number on the game has Toronto minus eight. We'll see if it comes out in that range. If it does, I'll be looking at the Brooklyn side in this one. What are we doing with a team like Minnesota? Five days off, 13 straight losses, 1-12 against the spread their last 13. They're facing the L.A. Clippers. So we talk about proactive versus reactive. All right, if you've been fading the T-Wolves during this stretch, good for you, man. You put a whole lot of money in your pocket because Minnesota's been god-awful. But now we've seen the chemistry change for the T-Wolves. We've seen Andre uh, Andrew Wiggins, who, whatever, it didn't work for Wiggins in Minnesota. Now that he's gone, maybe D'Angelo Russell brings him to the table. I wouldn't be super inclined to bet against the T-Wolves in this one the way that I have pretty consistently of late. We've got college hoops breakdowns coming up next when Wager Talk continues. Stay on the grid. 
Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. To Wager Talk here on the Sports Grid TV Network. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels breaking down the world of sports and sports betting. It's time for a big time breakdown. Let's look at Saturday's college hoops card, Ralph. And let's take a look at some of the big TV matchups. I know everyone's going to be interested in. And I'm starting West Coast first. Why? Because they're interesting games. That's why. Let's start. Gonzaga at St. Mary's Saturday night TV showdown in the West Coast Conference. St. Mary's coming off an uninspired performance at San Diego on Thursday. Despite the fact they went into that game coming off a loss. Gonzaga once again in 2020 or 2020 uh, has been a team that looks national championship contending worthy. What do you make of the Zags and the Gales West Coast action on Saturday night? I think the Zags start to have a little pressure on them. You know, they've they've never had to been they've never been challenged in the West before. Now San Diego State being undefeated. Uh, they have two chances to lose from here on out. They come in at 24 and one. The game at St. Mary's, I have them about a three and a half point favorite. The game at BYU right now, I'd make them about a two-point favorite. I look at I look at the Zags and I just think with their pace of play with the depth of player they have. This is a team that has started eight or nine different players already in their position. St. Mary's down a notch. Of course, St. Mary's always wants to control the tempo. The Zags are one team they can't. I'm making the line, the Zags minus three and a half, Teddy. And if I'm at least two points off in either direction, I'll start looking at that team as a play. Yeah, I know that uh, I had my fun with uh, St. Mary's on Thursday night. I'd be inclined to look at Gonzaga in this game. St. Mary's just doesn't look worthy of competing with the elite Zags. And the Zags are every bit as elite as they have been. Um, I'd rather have the road chalk here than the home dog. USC against Arizona State. The Sun Devils coming off a nice win and cover against UCLA on Thursday. USC was blown out for most of the game and then got it under the number at the end. And now... The Trojans with a chance to get a road win against Bobby Hurley squad. What do you make of USC at Arizona State TV game on Saturday night? I like the USC squad, Teddy. I like what OO is doing. He had a big game against uh, Arizona. This is a solid rebounding team. You know, I have I have USC on the outside looking in right now. You know, they're 17 and six. I think if they finish with 20 or 21 wins and win a couple wins, they're they're going to get here. Uh, they're a, a decent three-point shooting team. They're an excellent offensive rebounding team, number one in the Pac-12. I like them to pull the upset against Arizona State. And there's a lot of NCAA tournament talk in February. We'll do a little bit in our next segment, but we're not going to focus on the big dance. Why? Because there's games to bet here in February. There's a whole month worth of basketball, <laughs> five weeks between now and the big dance. 
And one of those games is probably the game that everyone likes. This, of course, Duke, North Carolina, the first of two meetings between the Blue Devils and the Tar Heels. It has been, I'm not going to call it a bad season. This has been a disastrous season for North Carolina, but they've shown signs of late. Four covers in their last five ball games. And the one they didn't, they were 12-point chalk. They lost outright, but they only lost by a deuce. They've been hanging tough with everyone. Duke has this statistical profile that's through the roof. Top 10 offensive efficiency, top 10 defense efficiency. There are no point-spread bargains when it comes to the Blue Devils. All that said, if Duke can hand it to North Carolina in Chapel Hill, they'll do it, and they'll do it by margin. Can this recent uptick for North Carolina continue on Saturday as they take on the Blue Devils? And is this legitimately one of those games where you throw out all the stats, throw all the numbers, just take the dog because you know it's going to be <laughs> hotly contested? Eddie, I think the, the February 1st game that North Carolina lost was exactly what our viewers that have followed Wager Talk know and compared to the NBA. It was Cole Anthony's first game back since December the 8th. He played 26 minutes. You had to change your rotation. You had to change the people you're playing with. You had to change your positions on the court. Well, the next game, what did they do? They went on the road. Losing to Florida State is not bad. Cole Anthony got up to 37 minutes. Cole Anthony got held to 16 points against a very good Florida State team. But I, I do. I think I think Duke players have to come into this game, even though it's North Carolina. They know the season North Carolina's had. They know North Carolina's been dominated. I expect the Tar Heels to improve from here on out with Anthony, and I like him on Saturday. Yeah, I'm with you and being that that being potential for North Carolina to make their backers money down the stretch uh, of this ACC campaign. And I would not lay with Duke in this game, be North Carolina or pass for me. Baylor's still sitting at number one. Okay. We were saying, yeah, well, they'll be there for a couple of games. They'll be gone. They keep winning and they're winning in all kinds of different ways. Ralph, they win tough, grinded out games on the road. They've won up-tempo affairs. They've won where the shots are falling. They've won where the shots haven't been falling. They'll be laying a price here against Oklahoma State. It's not been a good season for the Cowboys, though they are coming off a nice winning cover against TCU earlier in the week. What do you make of the Bears and the Cowboys? Can Baylor continue to roll? I look, Teddy, and I break down teams the last 30 days, and I break down home and aways. Oklahoma State on the road has not been good. Uh, they're, they're in my 160 range, you know, puts them way outside of where they should be for a power five team. And I've just learned, I'm not playing against this Scott Drew team laying, laying, you know, I, I would lay anything up to 12 with Baylor and feel comfortable. Now I think the line's probably going to come 13 or 14. I'm just letting you know if it came 12 or less, because people are still playing against this Baylor team. Like you said, they are an elite team. They play elite defense. They have two sophomore guards. Those sophomore guards are now playing like upperclassmen. If Devon Mitchell struggles at the point, they just moved Jared Butler over to the point. Multiple guys can handle the ball. I see no weaknesses in this Baylor. Very reminiscent of last year's Texas Tech squad. I would lay it as a play, minus 12 or less. Yeah, I don't disagree with the concept. I want Baylor on the road, though. I want them as short chalk or short dogs on the highway. They've proven to be so effective in that role on a consistent basis. 
and in my mind, to attack the Bears and to make money at this stage of the season with Baylor, I'd rather do it as short road chalk than bigger home chalk. That being said, I'm not in any rush. <laughs> I, too, have learned the hard way about stepping in front of Baylor. I'm not inclined to do it here against a pretty weak Oklahoma State team coming off a win. Oh, let's talk some Big East hoops. Seton Hall against Villanova. And I don't know if it was a joke or not. I saw someone I respect on Twitter saying, Jay Wright's got to go. Because <laughs> uh, the Wildcats lost that home to an unranked team. This Big East is absolutely brutal. Okay. We think the Big Ten is tough. I think the Big East, top to bottom, might even be tough. I'm not saying it's tougher, but there are no easy outs in this conference. So, it's just a grind and a grind and a grind and a grind. Seton Hall and Nova, what do you think this one's going to grind out like on Saturday, Ralph? Well, again, the Big Ten normally gets gets called the best conference, but I agree with you, Teddy. The Big Ten has, you know, multiple more teams. The, the worst team in the Big East is probably St. John's. They're probably number 80 if you looked at power ratings. You have two teams in the Big Ten, Northwestern and Nebraska, that are probably 120s or 130s. So agree with you. The Big East is clearly a much tougher out. I don't know. This is going to be a war. There are times when, you know, I look at games and I can make a line and I'm not going to take either team. And that's exactly what I'm going to say in this game. So I wish I had more input with this game. I am not going to play against Villanova off back-to-back losses, including a home loss to Creighton. But this Seton Hall team has the better offense than Villanova, the better defense than Villanova, the best player on the court with Miles Powell. Uh, Toss-up to me, either team wins. It's going to be a war. I will look, though, to fade either team this will be a very physical game. And the team that wins this game, I might fade them in the next game. So you're always learning from games. You may not be playing a game, but think about what you can take out of that game moving forward. National TV action on Saturday afternoon. Well, Saturday afternoon here on the left coast. It'll be early evening for you guys uh, back east. The bottom line is Kentucky against Tennessee. And it's a Wildcats team that's shown a whole lot of toughness in some hostile environments generally. They did not show that in a loss at Auburn or earlier in the week. They bounce back here with the win at Tennessee, or is this a spot for the Vols to come up strong? What's your take, Kentucky, Tennessee, this one national TV on Saturday afternoon? I think Kentucky stays focused. They're off their previous road loss. As you said, they went to Auburn on Saturday, February 1st, lost that game by nine came back, beat Mississippi State by eight on Tuesday. I think Tennessee's win against uh, Alabama was an anomaly. Again, Alabama is a young team, learning new systems, playing Nate Oates' up-tempo offense, having come over from Buffalo. But, you know, the, the, Vols, the Vols in that game against Tennessee uh, made 23 of 32 free throws. They got to the line 23 times. Alabama got to the line five times. That's why Tennessee beat Alabama. That won't happen against this Kentucky team. Kentucky, too experienced, too athletic, gets to the post too much. Hagens and Quickly at, at guard have, have just made this team dynamic. Maxi again, another freshman who's playing better than they thought he would. I look for 
Kentucky to win and cover this game, I would lay up to three and a half or four with Kentucky and still make them a play. Ralph says, take a look at the Kentucky Wildcats as short road chalk at Tennessee on Saturday. That may well be worthy of a look. Ralph and I both agree North Carolina is a team we might want our money on down the stretch. And Baylor, not a team with any rush to step in front of. Arthur DeCesar just canceled. So we will not have an odds coming on next. That said, Ralph and I can break down the full recap and we'll talk hoops. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. To wager talk, Teddy covers and Ralph Michaels. We're supposed to have Arthur to Caesar from Caesar Sportsbook on this segment. He just had something come up literally at the very last minute. He just texted me, said he cannot make it. So that means Ralph's going to have to answer all the questions I was going to ask Arthur to Caesar. We'll see how Ralph does. So Ralph, how's he doing the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, uh, we should do a little bit of look back here, and uh, we haven't done any Super Bowl discussion in terms of how the house do how the books do, how the betters do. Obviously, Chiefs and under coming through. And it's definitely worth noting, Ralph, and I want to talk about this for a minute or two. Two years in a row, Las Vegas has won on Super Bowl Sunday, while the books back east in Jersey and Pennsylvania have lost. And we're not talking little decision. This was the second best Super Bowl in the history of the state of Nevada. Jersey, they lost like their whole was negative eight percent. It was, I mean, they got bombed. So, monster Super Bowl for the books in Nevada, miserable Super Bowl for the books in Jersey. Why? Well, I think that people still feel more comfortable. You know, the sharps pounded that total over Teddy. We saw it open 51. We saw it climb to 53 and a half, 54 and a half. That all those early bets, I, I think the soup, the books in Vegas won on the overs. Secondly, the props. I think Vegas has a handle on props. They've done it for multiple years. The people we have bookmaking here have have know how to adjust props to what the public wants to do. You slant them to the over. You slant the the higher numbers because people want to bet the overs and yeses. And I think it's the experience in Vegas that got them to where they are. New Jersey, you've seen unique bets. You've seen them put out, um, you know, there's parlay cards with correlated parlays that you could do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this year it's because of experience and the early sharp money on the total. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Nah, disagree with an asterisk. All right. You mentioned the key point, in my opinion. Sharp money. The sharp money in the Super Bowl, okay, in theory, 
the sharp money was on San Francisco. They were the better defensive team, uh, and the sharp, the professional betters were largely on the 49ers side in comparison to the recreational betters who were largely on the Chiefs side. So what happens is the books in Vegas get buyback because the sharp money comes into town. The sharps, you know, the syndicates, they're not betting in Jersey. There's not enough outlets there. They can't get enough down. So the professional money still flows to Nevada. The professional money still gets bet in Las Vegas. So what happens is that when you have a Super Bowl where the public cleans up and all these guys go over their various totals and this, that, and the other, and uh, the favorite covers, even an under scenario, in Jersey, they didn't get all the wise guy money to to go against those moves. So they lost. (laughs) Whereas in Vegas, there was a ton of wise guy money, as there is every year in the Super Bowl, and that made all the difference. It's back-to-back years has been the same result where the public side won the Super Bowl, and as a result, the books in Jersey and Pennsylvania took a bath. That's not been the case here. And I think it's all about the sharp money. Do you, do you, does that make sense to you? Uh, oh, where the syndicates yeah, uh, yeah. and the wise guys really are prepared to get down big bets in Vegas that they just can't get down in other parts of the country. Well, absolutely. We're, we're going to see that change as as they change and have more outlets. But yes, they feel much more comfortable with the with their outlets in Vegas. They have their runners here. They have their multiple places set up. And, you know, we saw that line move. You know, originally, you know, we thought at the beginning of the two weeks ago when we were talking about it, you know, we thought there'd be such an overflow of KC money. It might go up to two and a half, two or two and a half. And, and it didn't. It just stayed at one or, you know, one and one and a half and even came down to one at game time. So, yeah, uh, sharp square divide. And we have that in the Super Bowl very often. We have to talk about one of the worst beats you'll ever have. And this was, I mean, again, it's a prop. You weren't laying 20 dimes on this. But I knew a lot of people that had the Patrick Mahomes rushing total over. All right. And Mahomes had that total. Was he over in the first quarter? Was he over on his first run? I mean, it was a done deal. Mahomes was over, and he ran again, and he was in the 40s. And there was no sweat. You were cashing your Patrick Mahomes over rushing yards prop. It's a very popular prop here in Las Vegas and elsewhere. And then they didn't get one knee. They didn't get two knees. They got three knees. Mahomes took all three, and he bounced back on two of them. Ended up losing, what, I think 15 yards on the three plays. And instead of going over, Patrick Mahomes' rushing yards goes under as a result of those three knees at the end. That's a tough, tough beat on a right-side winner that ended up working out in the house's favor. Yeah, there's a few people I talked to that had their prop sheet and they wrote a W on that. Never do that. Never write the W down until the game's over. You know, if had they taken a regular knee, Teddy, there wouldn't have been an issue. But what he was trying to do, he was trying to run that clock out and he was backtracking. He lost five yards, three yards and seven yards, a total of 15 yards in those three carries. Whereas when they got the fourth down, he could throw the ball away with five seconds to go and the clock expired. All right, enough look back. Let's look forward. We have XFL action this weekend. And it's interesting. We're talking about a new league. We're talking about a well-financed league. We're talking about four national TV football games this weekend. Ralph, 
XFL discussion. I'm going to let you lead it because you've done more work on this league than I have. But you were talking about some of the coaches with experience might be bet on. Are these favorites real the opening weekend? And, of course, from a venue standpoint, you guys are playing in NFL stadiums. And in theory, they're supposed to have some decent crowds. Well, you know, Seattle's playing at D.C., the Seattle are called the Dragons. The D.C. are the Defenders. The Defenders are a seven-point favorite. And again, these are just lines that are just starting to come out. Some casinos carry them, some don't. If there's interest, Teddy and I will be breaking them down every weekend. So that'll be up to you how much interest there is. The L.A. Wildcats are at the Houston Roughnecks. The Roughnecks are five and a half. Tampa Bay is at the New York Guardians. Uh, the Tampa Bay Vipers, a road favorite of two and a half. And the Seattle Battlehawks are at the Dallas Renegades. The Renegades minus 10. Dallas is the team I'm looking at. You know, you have Jordan Tamu, the old Miss quarterback. He's making his first start. Uh, you know, you've got decent talent. You have Bob Stoops as the coach. Uh, you have some experienced coaching. And I think that's going to be the edge moving forward. So even though Dallas is laying 10 when I compare their roster, and again, these are just at-a-glance rosters. Uh, I, I will tell you Tampa Bay, obviously, to be a road favorite in week one uh, is something that you have to look at. It's, uh, uh, the, 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 it's at MetLife Stadium. You know, you're expecting a big crowd. It's on Fox and FUBU. You have Matt McGloin, a quarterback. Uh, Mark Trestman as uh, Mark Trestman as one of the coaches. And, uh, you know, it's a situation where I think, you know, I don't believe in that road favorite role, but I do believe in Mark Trestman. I think he's going to have some experience play calling things to use with a quarterback that can do well. So uh, that's a situation where I'm afraid to lay the points, but I think they deserve it. The, the L.A. Wildcats at the Houston Roughnecks. Roughnecks, again, five and a half. L.A., to me, seems like the better team. Uh, it's a situation where we have uh, Winston Moss as the L.A. Wildcats head coach. He, of course, was a linebacker for the Saints. I'm afraid to back the Wildcats, even though I think they're the better team, just because you have this inexperienced head coach. Pepper Johnson is their defensive coordinator. Uh, he coached with Belichick for 13 years, so we'll see what he brings to that team. Uh, but again, LA, a team I look to play on, just afraid to do it with the inexperienced head coach. And uh, the Seattle Dragons at the D.C. Defenders. D.C. not playing in an NFL stadium. They're playing in the soccer stadium. And I, I look at D.C. Pep Hamilton is their, uh, is their head coach. Uh, Hamilton was a Stanford OC under Harbaugh. He was the Indianapolis Colts OC. He's another guy that I think is going to have his team ready with the DC defenders. So yeah, an interesting look. I'm not getting to the window at all. My initial instincts is head coaches that have experience calling the plays will have a slight edge moving forward. So I, I've got two questions about this. When it comes, well, for the first one is the more important one is which team is Christian Hackenberg on and how can I bet against them? Um, Hackenberg is on uh, New York, I believe. And you know All what? You're right, catching so me off guard there. I'm not positive. I don't have, I don't Sorry. have my rosters in front of me. Again, this was supposed to be a, uh, a segment that, that you know, segment. was with Arthur DeCesar. <laughs> so 
don't know the teams well enough, Teddy, to, to ask that. I apologize uh, for putting you on the spot there. But the bottom line for me is Hackenberg, from the day he showed up at, uh, at Penn State, he's been bet against. He was bet against in the NFL preseason. He's been bet against in other football leagues. Hackenberg, for me, the number one QB I would look to fade when it comes to betting the XFL in week one. We've got Sunday Hoops Look Ahead coming up next. Wait, you're talking Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Sunday hoops to look ahead here on Wager Talk. But first, Ralph, we're just talking XFL for this week. And you got a list of all the starting QBs. Why don't you run that down real quick so our viewers can know who they'll be betting against and on if they get involved in XFL this weekend at the QB position. Dallas Renegades, Landry Jones, of course, was a four-year starter for Bob Stoops. He's back with Bob Stoops. Cardell Jones for the D.C. Defenders. Uh, Philip Walker for the Houston Roughnecks. Philip Walker or P.J. Walker, like he was known as Temple, beat out Connor Cook for that job. Josh Johnson, a lot of people like him as an early 33-year-old quarterback, 13 different NFL teams. He's been around the system. Matt McGloin for the New York Guardians. Uh, Jordan Tamu for the St. Louis Battlehawks. Brandon Silvers from Troy for the Seattle Dragon. And Aaron Murray from Georgia, the Tampa Bay Vipers. Hackenberg did not win a job. Oh, well, that means I can't fade him. Uh, that's good stuff. Disappointing for me because Christian Hackenberg, if I, if I see Christian Hackenberg as a starting quarterback on any field where there's a point spread, I'll be betting on the other team. All that said, we talk a lot about the QBs and certainly that Landry Jones in Dallas makes sense with his college coach and a guy who's been in the NFL and, and performed in the NFL. But offensive lines are going to make a big difference in this game. And that's one area where I'm not confident with any recommendations at this stage. That's a watch and a learn when it comes to the offensive lines this weekend. Let's talk a little college hoops for Sunday. And boy, what's going on in Wisconsin? That's maybe question number one, Ralph, because when you talk about stable programs, the Badgers have been about as stable as it gets for the last 25 years. Competitive every year, in the tournament every year, capable of going on a run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four every so often. This year, it feels like, you know, with everything that's going on both on and off the court, that things are coming a little bit unglued in Wisconsin right now. The rotations in shreds with players leaving the team. And, of course, they've got Ohio State coming to town. The Buckeyes coming off an impressive road win where they made the plays down the stretch in Ann Arbor against the Wolverines. Can Ohio State do it again in Madison against a Badgers team that is positively reeling right now? Or is this a bounce-back spot for Wisconsin at home against a team that 
in Ohio State that has enormous talent, but the execution comes and goes. Eddie, I'm um, I'm going to argue reeling a little bit for Wisconsin. You know, yes, they come in 13 and 10. In the Big Ten, they're six and six. Road losses at Rutgers, road loss at Michigan State, road loss at Purdue, road loss at Iowa, road loss at Minnesota. So five games are road losses to tournament teams. The only home loss was uh, to Illinois, who is leading the Big Ten. So I don't think they're reeling. I just think it's home road dichotomy in the Big Ten. I think the, the strength of the home court edges are so big. And I like uh, I like. Wisconsin in this role to beat Ohio State at home. It's going to be close to a pick'em game. Uh, I will back the Badgers at home. All right. So uh, Ohio State's win at in Ann Arbor the other night was that, and that was a couple wins for the Buckeyes after that really ugly stretch. Is there any buy sign here on Ohio State moving forward, or uh, are they going to be a 500 team in in Big Ten play? Well, I don't I don't put much credence in the Michigan win. You know, you and I have talked about this before. You know, all Michigan did is a three-game stretch in the Atlantis, beat Iowa State, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. Yes, but what happened? They shot the lights out. They shot over 50% and won three games in a row. Besides that, they've been a 500 team. So I don't put much win in Michigan that it was a good win. Michigan, to me, is probably the... Worst team in the Big Ten, Sands, Nebraska, and Northwestern. So Ohio State, to me, is still a top-20 team. I I don't have an answer of why they played so poorly. A couple injuries, but uh, Ohio State is, is a complete enigma to me. We talked early in the show about what a brutal conference the Big East is. Not because the elite teams are elite, but because there literally are no bad teams, no bottom feeders in this conference to get healthy against. So it's one smash mouth battle against the next. Just there, there are no breaks. Butler faces Marquette. And this is another no break game. Sunday morning here on the left coast, afternoon for you back east. What's your take on the Bulldogs and the Golden Eagles? Well, I think the Bulldogs get a lot of confidence beating Villanova on Wednesday like they did. Uh, you know, Mar Marquette is a team I like. You know, we all know Marcus Howard, and we all know, you know, five foot eleven and leading the country in scoring. But Marquette has really impressed me with the defense they've played this year. Some of their numbers, if you look and you look at the games in the 80s, yes, they're fast tempo, but they've played three overtime games in conference plays. So they'll skew those numbers a little bit. I think I think Marquette handles Butler coming off that big win. They're off a win against DePaul, which they didn't cover, winning by four on Saturday. Uh, Marquette with a full week. They went from Sunday they went from they went from Saturday, February first, and this game Sunday. Eight days of rest, I think, that gives them the edge. While Butler again had that midweek game against Villanova, a huge battle. Schedule situation clearly favors Marquette. There are six teams within two and a half games of first place in the American Athletic Conference, the AAC. One of those teams is in first place. That would be the Houston Cougars. They'll be at home on Sunday against a Wichita State Shockers team that now ranks the uh, number six on that list of six teams that are within two and a half games. They're the one that's two and a half back. A couple of hiccups for the Shockers of late. Will they have another one against the Cougars in Houston on Sunday? 
I think the Cougars are the best team in the AAC. Calvin Sampson hasn't playing great. Their only losses at Tulsa, who before last night was, you know, one of the strongest home courts and playing defense as well as anyone. A road loss to Cincinnati by two. So both road losses to Houston on the road by two points. Wichita State to me is is just struggling offensively. If they have that rare good shooting night, they can come out ahead. They're about 102 in offensive efficiency. They're still an elite defensive team, but some struggle against Cincinnati at home. They're off back-to-back losses. I think Houston pulls away in this game. I would lay up to six with Houston and feel comfortable. I'm not sure where the line will land. But, you know, Teddy, great NBA on Sunday as well. Let's let's switch gears and let me shoot some back to you as you are our resident NBA guru. Houston Jazz going to the Houston Rockets. Houston, of course, off that big win against the Lakers. Can they handle this opponent at home in the favorites role? I mean, the Jazz right now are a very difficult team for me to get to the betting window with. Utah had that remarkable stretch, 15-3 and three straight up and against the spread throughout most of December and January, where they were point spread monsters and making everybody money if you were backing them. That was then. This is now. And one of the best things about being a handicapper and not being a politician, when you're a politician, you never say, oh, I was wrong. Oh, I changed my mind. As a handicapper, you have to do that stuff, okay? I thought that Mike Conley was going to be a perfect fit for Utah. I liked his toughness. I thought he was that, that he was the guy that might push the Jazz to the next level. What we've seen with Conley in and out of the lineup for the Jazz, he's faced some injuries this year, but the chemistry hasn't been there with Conley and Inglis in the backcourt. The chemistry hasn't been there with Conley and his teammates in Utah right now. They're going through some struggles, some real struggles. Houston playing this unique small ball style. And look, I guess this is what D'Antoni envisioned <laughs> uh, back then. He's like, forget all centers. We don't even need power forwards. We're just going to have five guys and we'll have, you know, the, our six, five guy, uh, you know, PJ Tucker, he can get the rebounds we need. We're not going to worry about winning the glass. We're not going to worry about defending the low post. We're just going to worry about scoring. We worked against the Lakers on Friday. <laughs> there may be a, there may well be continued growing pains for the Rockets using this strategy, but they're also going to give teams like Utah perhaps some struggles. Um, it's a unique style. Uh, that Houston's trying to play right now. Uh, and they just showed they could play it and win. Maybe they'll do it again against the Jazz, the slumping Jazz, in TV action on Sunday. Well, Boston may not be playing small ball, Teddy, but besides Cantor, no one on their roster is taller than six foot eight. Cantor just came back from injury. Celtics going into when we record this, when we're when we're taping, eight and one their last nine. But OKC seven and one against the spread their last eight. Who do you like on Sunday? Celtics and Thunder. I mean, the Celtics are riddled with injuries right now, and I mean, uh, they could be missing as many as four starters uh, in this contest. You know, I, I, it, it looks, you know, whether Brown or, or Kemba or, or Tatum uh, play, this is one of those games where you absolutely need to be looking at the injury wire on Sunday morning to figure out who's in and who's out. I will say this, you know, post-trade deadline, OKC has done nothing but cover spreads as dogs all year long. This has been their role, you know. Um, I would ex- expect them 
to be home dogs here if Boston is healthy. However, <laughs> the Celtics aren't healthy. That might not be the case. But Thunder are a one-way team for me. The betting markets at no point this season have shown they have caught up with OKC. You and I talked about the Portland Trailblazers perhaps being able to make that run. You thought they were good enough. They've won and covered their last four games at home. They've covered those by over 12 points per game. The Miami Heat come in to take on Portland on Sunday. Finish off this segment and the show, Teddy, with your thoughts on Portland against Miami. Yeah, and of course, you know, my number for the game is, comes right around Pickham uh, for this content. Maybe my, uh, and I would expect it to be there, Miami. Uh, on this West Coast swing, and not necessarily going to be easy for them here against a Blazer team that's shown nothing but fed on in recent weeks. There's money made back in the Portland Trailblazers down the stretch. Thanks so much for watching Wager Talk today. Enjoy the games all weekend long. Good luck. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount.